Hello and welcome to the Leaders in Supply Chain podcast. I'm your host, Radu Palamariu, Global Logistics and Supply Chain Practice Head for Morgan Phillips Executive Search. Uh, my job is to connect you with global experts, thought leaders and executives in all things supply chain. And this is episode 7 and I'm very happy to have with us today Tom Schmidt, Board Member, Contract Logistics and Global Chief Commercial Officer for DB Schenker, which is one of the top three global uh, 3PL companies in the world with operations in 140 countries. As the management board uh, responsible for the $3 billion contract logistics business, Tom is in charge of a global team of 22,000 logisticians with continued and accelerated profitable growth. In the first year of Tom's leadership, D.B. Schenker Contract Logistics grew by 17% top line and saw 20% growth to the bottom line. Tom also has served as president and CEO of Prolator in Canada, as well as had a long career in FedEx, having led as the CEO of the supply chain division. Um, as well, Tom is a published author, having written the leadership book Simple Solutions, Harness the Power of Passion and Simplicity to Get Results, which is a great resource of leadership principles. Tom, welcome, and it's a pleasure to have you with us today. Well, thank you for having me, Radu. Our pleasure. Um, so if we are going to start um, first by looking into the questions regarding the industry, um, would uh, would like to invite you to share a, a little bit with us the top strategic directions that Schenker is trying to achieve in the next years and, and maybe some of the top goals that the company is uh, trying to reach by 2020. Mm. Yeah, it's actually very simple and straightforward. So as a company, we set ourselves an aspiration. We want to be the best. And uh, so I had nine years of Latin um, and uh, we call it, we want to be primus, the best, the first in class, not somewhere in the middle of the field, but the very best. And uh, we actually picked three dimensions. Three is a good number. Um, how to express to be primus. And we said we want to grow profitably. So we are roughly speaking globally a 15, 16 billion euro company. So getting close to 20 billion. We want to, over the next five years, every single year, grow by a billion euro top line. So 15 to 16. Uh, this year, my expectation is uh, there's going to be a big check mark there. We're actually going to grow by more than a billion uh, this year. And then we want to keep that good habit of profitable growth going. So add another billion or so top line every year. So that's the first aspiration we want to grow profitably and at a fairly sizable clip above market. Uh, the second thing has to do with efficiency. Um, growth by itself is helpful, but it's not all there is. You also have to be in game shape. Um, and game shape means you have to be efficient, trim, and uh, make sure that that good growth actually ends up also showing up at the bottom line. So we do want to be a very, very efficient uh, player and um, again, if you're a soccer fan, if you want to win, win the Champions League, you obviously have to be in game shape. So we want to be in game shape. And the third thing, thing is actually, frankly, I'm in my mind, the most uh, compelling one, the most rewarding one. That's uh, we also want to have a culture that we're proud of. Uh, D.P. Schenker is 145 years old, which actually by itself is kind of cool. If you think about um, look around the globe, you watch the globe and players across the globe the same way we do. So 145 years old, um, double-digit billion in revenue and doing quite well. So if you, if you scan the globe, how many companies are there that are more than a century old, double digits in revenue, billions, and doing quite well? I don't know. I didn't Google it. 20, 30, it's not 500. Yeah. So um, it's a, so what we actually did was we also, when we say we want to have 
a profitable growth company that's in game shape and that also has a strong culture. We can draw on 145 years of our history and, uh, and come up with a culture of performance orientation, innovation, and also one of that's deeply values-based. So we actually are kind of going around the globe of our DB Schenker world of 70,000 teammates and saying, let's distill the best of, of those values and make that culture come alive every single day. So mm. that's in growth, efficiency, and culture terms, uh, what we are setting out to do, we want to be simply the best. Mm. Super. Well, thanks for the thanks for sharing that. And and indeed, I could not agree more that culture is a is a key uh, strategic element to the growth of mm -hmm. any, sustainable growth of any company. Um, and then, uh, obviously, we're at the we're at the time when technology is really and rapidly uh, transforming the industry. So. Uh, if you were to, to, to think a little bit of, on the technology uh, improvements and trends in, in logistics, uh, which do you think will have the most impact by 2020, Tom? Mm -hmm. the, uh, there's obviously a lot of things happening and none of them are new to you or, or to me, anything from um, 3D printing to uh, kind of the Airbnb for warehouses. There's a whole bunch of trends, but at its core, I think the thing that's going to happen most is the way we sell and the way people buy is changing. And uh, let me take you back. So I'm 52 years old. Um, about 40 years ago, as a kind of 12-year-old kid in the spring, every year I went with my parents to our local market square. And uh, the highlight was uh, we would actually go into a travel agency And we'd be looking at catalogs for like the hotel in Italy and the bus and uh, kind of and what the coast looks like and so on. And then we would pick a few things. Then we would go shopping in the market square, go back to the travel agency. And then they would have miraculously, they would have picked the hotel and, uh, and uh, itinerary and all that. And we booked it. So today, whether it's D.B. Schenker or whether it's some of our comp competition, what I'm just describing is still happening quite a bit in the business to business space. People come to us and they book a trip. Uh, they just their trip is not a hotel in Italy on the coast, but their trip is actually they needed uh, something from Asia to North America, from Asia to Europe, and they need a, a ship or they need a, a flight. And then they come to us, and then we are the travel agency and we book for them. And that picture, the same way that travel agency in the market square that I went to with my parents 40 years ago, probably no longer exists. Yeah. That process I just described, business to business, where companies come to us and we book a trip for them, that's not going to happen five years or 10 years from now, from now. Technology, platforms, people picking their own, are the same way you and I go on Expedia.com or some of those platforms on the business front. We have to really think through kind of how this buying and selling will happen because it's not going to happen the way I just described going forward. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that, and that... Uh, um, That is clear. And, and also whoever is going to pick up on that trend and, and manage to be at the forefront of that trend will, 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 will win. Um, and, and, and obviously, um, uh, there's, a, there's also challenges to, to getting there. As you said, also, D.B. Schenker is a very, uh, a very solid as well as a length in duration, 140 years plus of, of, of age as a company. But when you, when you see this transformation that the industry is going through, what do you see also as some of the biggest challenges um, that uh, even, you know, uh, let's, uh, let's talk about Dibyshenko is, is faced when implementing and, and adapting and, and transforming. 
Yeah. I mean, let me stick with the example that we just talked about, right? So today companies talk with us and they say like, well, we're looking to move uh, our new products that come out this fall kind of from manufacturing somewhere in Southeast Asia to these market uh, places in Europe and the Americas. Then we talk with them about kind of how we route it, kind of when it will get deployed and when the launch date is and all that. So these are real conversations that are happening. So if what I just talked about becomes reality, where a lot of these uh, booking trips and <clears throat> launching products and making sure you actually plan for your supply chain is happening on platforms electronically, that conversation I just described won't happen necessarily anymore real time between you and me or other people about launching, right? And we don't go back and forth about kind of how do we make sure that the the product is available and what happens if there's a delay here? What if the uh, order by volume is going to be 20% higher than expected and this new iPhone will be the biggest hit in history or whatever it is, right? These are real-time kind of thought and action, uh, kind of partnership exchanges that are happening between person and person. Well, as you flip this process over to platforms, mm -hmm. our problem-solving supply chain leadership capabilities, our, us having a real conversation and do real-time problem-solving, we have to find the ways to still provide that type of thought and action partnership because it's not going to be facilitated mm -hmm. by the actual platform exchange by itself. So we have to make sure... Mm -hmm that we remain that thought and action partner to these companies that we are today, despite the fact that some of the transactions will no longer be between us in person, they will be automated. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. Uh, and, um, and, 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 uh, and Tibi Schenker is currently working with some of the, the biggest, um, um, manufacturers, uh, shippers in the world. Um, what do you see uh, as, as some of the current uh, challenges that your clients are, are struggling with at the moment? And how is uh, D.B. Schengelson currently addressing some of them? Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot what uh, what we've been seeing, and this, frankly, I've, saw, I've seen the same things uh, already starting when I was at FedEx, um, and I'm certainly seeing the same things today. Um, you could say, and this is a somewhat simplistic way of putting it, I do believe, though, it's relevant. Um, many customers, when they dealt with us, they were concerned about one thing primarily, and that one thing typically was cost. And uh, in some cases, obviously, the whole notion of time came in. And I always think about this in terms of currencies, like what currencies do you care about? Do you, currency, do you care about the currency cost? Okay, got it. Do you care about the currency time? Oh, yes. Okay. Those two things, sometimes you have to find the sweet spot because if it's faster, it typically becomes more expensive. So which one do you care about most? What's most important to you and your customers? Is it speed or is it low cost? Increasingly, there's now at least a third currency that's been extremely relevant, not just for the last year or two, but for the last decade or so. Uh, companies have been very outspoken about carbon footprint. What are we doing to the, to the ecology, to the environment? Our customers care, so we have to care. And uh, so now you're suddenly optimizing at least three currencies, time, money, and carbon footprint. So our customers and their customers obviously are hugely curious about how, what's the sweet spot between those three things. And because it used to be so simple where oh, I need lowest cost or oh, no, I need this overnight. Okay, so it's this or that. 
now it's at a minimum these three currencies. And so for us working with them, finding that sweet spot that's the, the most relevant one for them is a challenge. And uh, that's going to be harder, not easier going forward. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's, I mean, uh, as you actually said, there's always a trade-off. Uh, uh, once the, yeah, most people want to, it's it's almost cliche, uh, want the lowest cost, yeah, but, <laughs> you know, you got to give something to get something. Um and and speaking specifically about contract logistics and warehousing, which is uh, as, as far as uh, as I saw the numbers, is the the, the, the very well nice growth for for DB Schenker. Where do you see the emerging spots? Um, uh, which countries? Which regions? How do you see this? Yeah, I mean we we have a challenge, obviously, in terms of uh, our our history, which is a, a big strength, but uh, also positions us geographically. What I mean by that is, so we are 145 year old. Um, we are a, a company that started in Vienna, Austria. Um, it's now a German company. And today still more than two thirds of our revenue are actually in Europe. Now, if you look around the globe to your point about, so like, where are we, where are we going to be? The fastest growing economies uh, around the globe are not in Europe. They're obviously in Asia Pacific. They're in some parts of Middle East Africa. They're in some parts of South America, Latin America. So one big challenge for us is how do we actually become more balanced? Um, if I'm thinking it in a very simple way, there's so-called triad. There's three dominant uh, parts of the globe in terms of Americas, Middle East, uh, sorry, Americas, Europe, Asia Pacific, and then there's the emerging one with Middle East Africa. So we have to be somewhat more balanced by being relevant in all of these markets, especially, especially on those that actually grow more faster. Growth rates of four, five, six percent as economies, not one to two percent. Um, like uh, one example I always like using is Dubai. Um, if you think about that area, um, you are within hours of uh, four to six hours or so of two thirds of the global population. Um, and uh, when you fly to Dubai today, you arrive at the airport and then there's this big sign, welcome to Dubai International, second most international departures. Well, they're kind of cheating a bit because every departure is an international departure, but still, <laughs> it's a lot, right? Yeah. And then 30 kilometers down the street, they actually are building the largest airport in the world, not instead of the current one, but in addition to the current one, mm. Al Maktoum, right? So that new airport, we're actually building our new regional head office there for the area. And we're just uh, supersizing our warehousing and distribution presence there because this is a place where more manufacturing consumption will be driven out of. So it's looking kind of uh, geographically to what's next. And it's not that hard to see. You just look at where's manufacturing consumption going to be versus where was it, right? Well, it was in Europe. Um, it no longer is as heavily and as quickly and as fast as, as it is in some other parts of the world. And we just need to make sure that we are making bold statements that we are going to be where manufacturing consumption will be happening, not where it used to happen. Yeah, yeah, fair point. Um, and, and, and final question on this, uh, the, uh, the industry segment, uh, if you were an investor, which technology related startup would you invest in and why technology and logistics? Yeah. We talked a bit before about yeah. this whole notion of platforms, right? And, uh, how buying and selling used to happen between you and me in person. And it's becoming more of an automated search process. So, uh, I, th I do believe it is this whole notion of, uh, 
uh, enabling commerce through platforms. And the commerce could be um, in peak times, um, Chinese New Year, um, Black Friday or so, where suddenly you need more distribution space, you need more temp labor to to deal with all these transactions. Some of this actually even matching supply and demand of people, of spaces, um, not just buyers and sellers, you can enable with platforms. And uh, so if I come up with the, the best platform technology that provides most easy access to uh, people who need, whether it's, again, temp labor, whether it's distribution space, whether it's buyers and sellers, that's what I would like to invest in. Mm. Um, even technologies that, uh, I mean, think of, uh, we talked a lot about uh, Uber for Freight over the last several years, right? So there, there's a whole bunch of things that, that where platforms can provide access in ways that in, in the past certainly was not possible. If if we find the winning providers of those, those would be good bets. Yeah, yeah. And I think the Bishenka, it's similar. The U-ship investment that you did um, um, is kind of connected to, to the whole idea. Um, super. And then moving to the moving to the people segment, because uh, you know we 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 talk about technologies. We we talked also about the Schenker directions for 2020, but uh, all this is done through people. And I also know that you're personally a very uh, keen advocate of, of that. Um, so, in terms of finding the right skills to take uh, to take the organization to the next level, what what types of skills are you actually uh, focused on finding, developing, or importing into Schenker? Mm. I mean, uh, again, we talked about this before. We are a 145 year old company that's in the transportation logistics supply chain space. Uh, you will always, uh, when it comes to making global commerce possible and making it easier, making it better, you, you'll always need people who are supply chain experts, who are logisticians. Um, so those types of skills will remain relevant. Uh, what you also have to have, and this sometimes may be inside the same leaders or it may be two kind of sets of people, we also have to have a, a set of people who are more technologically enabled, more more digitally enabled, who think more about artificial intelligence, who actually say like all the data that we as D.B. Schenker know about our customers, how can we actually do something for them, right? The whole notion of making big data work for you. Um, we have more and more of our business partners and customers telling us, we, I mean, we just had a meeting recently in Tokyo where one of our biggest customers told us, I expect you to use all the data that you have to actually be a more forward-looking supply chain partner to us. You should be the one recommending to us how we should reconfigure our supply chains based on where all of our inputs are coming from, where our goods are going to, because these things will be migrating and the labor costs and the other factor costs are also changing. You tell us kind of what the consequences are for our supply chain. And this is the type of people that we need that actually know how to use all that intelligence that we have in a way that's actually advantageous for our customers. Mm -hmm. So is that a, if you want to call that, that's a logistician of the future, yes, then that's the type of skill we need. Yeah. If you want to say, actually, we need the traditional uh, supply chain expertise and we need this type of mm -hmm. skill set that actually takes advantage of this type of intelligence, that's kind of the the, the one-two punch that we will be needing going forward. Yeah, yeah. Um 
and uh, that kind of answers the next question, which, which I'll skip then. Because indeed, that's that's part of the the, the skills that, that uh, of the future, uh, so to speak. And uh, and I think uh, from what we are seeing also from from where we sit as as also we are consultants, we are executive search partners to organizations. Digitalization and skills required for for companies across industries actually to go digital or to go even more digital, um, to make sense of the data that they've got, uh, analyze, do preemptive uh, planning and, and and forecasting. That's tremendously important. Not uh, not a lot can do it uh, properly yet, and I think we're at the beginning of that uh, that uh, those phases. There's more and more case studies, but definitely in the future, if if you're not doing it, if you're not on the train, the train will hit you. So it's. Uh, <clears throat> And it's also, I mean, I, I, we just talked about how this, how our customers expect us to use all the information and data that we have to their advantage. It also, frankly, I mean, if we're just putting our own hat on, um, there's so many applications for ourselves. When we have, uh, I mean, the best revenue to have is the one that you keep and don't lose customer retention. Um, we have so much data about interactions with our customers, customer service experiences that are good and ones that were not good. What happens if we had a failed customer experience with the same customer twice in the same month? Um, are the, is this customer likely going to, going to take consequences by saying, actually, I'm done with these people. I need to move on to someone who actually doesn't fail me. Um, that's all data that's available to us. We have the customer service calls. They, we had them call in last week and three weeks ago. Do we use that information in a proactive way and say, okay, if these two or three things happened as a consequence, we will, this customer will be prioritized for us reaching out to them proactively and making extra certain that we take pre- preemptive steps that these things won't happen. Catch the, catch the issue, address it with the customer before the customer walks. And it's these types of things where just using information that's available to us in a very, very proactive managerial way and uh, and getting back and making sure that we actually do something with it to keep that customer and grow it versus having them walk away from us. And this is um, where big data also comes in. Very simple things about capacity planning. We should know based on all the information about what's happening in the marketplace, what happened, happens with, with uh, suppliers and customers, where do we have peaks that we actually should not be surprised by, but they're a logical consequence of us just looking at math over, over a period of time, say, oh gosh, these things that just happened, happened also nine months ago and also happened two years ago. The consequence of that typically is a peak and we should be planning for that. So it's this type of... Um, proactive planning that, yes, it is an evolution of uh, supply chain expertise. In a way, though, it is a kind of additional skill set that we need now much more than we perhaps needed 10 years ago, or perhaps we needed it, but we didn't have the means. Now we do have the means. Yeah, I think you're, you're spot on. I think the, the, it was needed before, but the, now we have the technology, we have the the ways in which we can analyze that data. I think a lot of companies, what I'm seeing is that they're struggling with getting accurate data because you have the, we have the tools to analyze it, but the, the data is not necessarily accurate or, or, or uh, live. So I think that's, that's a different challenge. And then, um, the possibilities and the opportunities now to really do that, that preemptive uh, type of planning is, is, uh, is great. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I could not agree more. Um, and, and moving a little bit to the, to the leadership team, obviously you're, you're one of the top, uh, you're one of the six board members in Schenker. Tell us a little bit, how do you select your leadership team? Um, what type of attributes are you looking for when it comes to appointing one of the, 
uh, top leaders in your team. Mm. Um, like, I mean, we just talked about how you act and react as a company differently based on um, possibilities that you have in terms of information and data. Um, also leadership. I mean, there's obviously some things that, that remain the same. I mean, I learned a lot of things at FedEx. One of the things I learned was um, the prioritization of people, service, profit, um, that you always um, do the right thing by your own people who then in turn will go above and beyond to provide exceptional service. And then profit is almost a logical consequence, people, service, profit in that sequence. Those types of leadership um, attributes, like someone who actually is a strong people leader, someone has a strong service mentality, those things remain. So if you ask for like what types of skills and, and traits and features do we look for, characteristics do we look for, these people service profit kind of uh, mentalities in that sequence priority order, that's a leadership uh, skill set of the future the same way it was one of the past. Now, having said that, if you look around the world, there are dimensions that I think are becoming more and more important in addition to what I just described. If you think about the world that we have to be successful in today, geopolitical issues. I mean, um, how do you deal with the fact that two countries now suddenly have a conflict? Most recently, Qatar became very topical. Well, we have to reroute um, flights. There are service consequences for the retailer that uh, that used to get their new uh, goods in at a certain point in time or during the day. Now there's delays. Um, there's several hours more of a flight path because you have to fly, fly around other countries. Um, there's obviously, think of uh, climate change challenges. What's been happening the last couple of months, whether it's in India and Asia, or whether it's in the Caribbean and the Americas, uh, huge disruptions um, of lives, first and foremost, but also of commerce. Uh, we had to close our offices in Puerto Rico, in Houston, in Miami. Um, and uh, the monsoons in India, people don't even talk about it anymore because they're so frequent, right? And, but there's still obviously a human hardship. So, uh, so we need leaders who still have those same kind of evergreen skills of like people focus, service mentality. We also now need more and more leaders who are thriving amid that uncertainty, whether it's geopolitical, whether it's climate, other issues that are perhaps more prominent, more pronounced, more disruptive. Yeah, yeah. And with with, uh, with serious consequences, I mean, you need to be able to, to think on your feet and, and adapt to those type of contexts. Um, and uh, and uh, again, as one of the board members of, of Schenke, you're one of the key influences of the Schenke culture, which is, uh, we talked a little bit about uh, about it at the beginning when you said it's one of your key focuses. So what, what would be some of the, the top elements and mindsets, more importantly, that you're trying to instill and enforce? Mm -hmm. So we talked a bit earlier, Radu, about the 145 years of kind of almost like distilling the greatest hits of our culture into one that actually takes the best of, of who we are and what we have. Uh, in terms of categories, um, I, three is a good number, right? So uh, there's three things that we want our culture to be about. Uh, one is it's got to be values-based. I mean, you, you just don't make up culture. It's got to be anchored in something relevant, something compelling. So we actually did come up with six company values, and we want 70,000 of us to live those values every single day walk the talk, take the customer further, these types of values. Um, 
The second thing the culture needs to be, in addition to based in values, is it's got to be a, a culture of performance orientation. Um, we are in a very, very competitive industry. We are in a very competitive world. Uh, and as a company, we're not a philosophy club. We're not independently wealthy. Uh, we do actually have to make uh, a living and we have to want to be the premiers in our industry with a also a profitable market leader. So um, our culture has to be one. Yes, it's values-based. That's where, where we get our energy from. At the same time, it's need to, it needs to be one of performance orientation. Um, performance is not optional. Performance is actually expected. And the third part is obviously it's also a culture of innovation that goes back a bit to that skill set of the leadership, right? It's got to be someone who's capable of looking around the corner, seeing kind of next before you actually before it hits you in the face. So uh, when we have a culture that is values-based, that is performance-oriented, and that is one of innovation, I think then we got the trifecta that we want. Mm. Super. Um, thank you for that. And moving to the to the final segment of our podcast on the on the personal side, um, I know that uh, that one of your leadership principles, which I actually enjoyed a lot when I uh, I read it, is that uh, you want to leave a place better than when uh, than when you found it. And it uh, it uh, you do say that it means not just looking at your business as a marathon over a career, but rather looking at it as 10, 15 or 100 interactions every single day, which is a, a great way to to look at things. But uh, I wanted to ask you, are there any other principles you follow in your day to day work in your leadership work? Yeah, it's actually funny. Actually, if uh, if I take the liberty of changing the question here for a second, um, the because uh, I actually would like to stick with that point. Mm -hmm. um, it it may be obvious, and it may not be. So let me just make it come alive a bit more. So um, I spent decades in in the U.S. I'm actually as I was born, raised in Germany, but I'm a U.S. citizen. And uh, this whole notion, this Boy Scout notion of leaving a place better than you found it. Um, really, when you talk about habits that kind of are important, that shape who I am, uh, let me double click on this one a little bit. Um, so you mentioned these interactions, right? So take your day to day. There's probably six meetings. Um, there's probably once you get to it, there's 50 emails, perhaps 100 emails. There's a couple of phone calls that you have, right? So uh, you could look at leaving a place better than you found it by saying, well, over the course of your business career or perhaps um, over the course of your life, you did one or two really good things. My expectation, my aspiration is a bit more short-term and a bit more intense, where all these phone calls, these meetings that you have today, like our session here right now. So when you walk away from this session, when you walk away from this phone call, when you walk away from this email exchange, did you leave the, the other person in the room with something that they now have that they did not have before? One good idea, one good action step, a connection, right? You get this email at 10 o'clock at night, and you're kind of tired, you want to go to bed. And then you say, um, somebody asks you, I ask you like, hey, can you help me here? Delete is the, is the easiest one. It takes me one second. It takes me perhaps 15 seconds more to say, actually, I haven't had this instance, but let me copy in Norman who ran into a, 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 a similar issue a couple of weeks ago. And then you will probably have an exchange with that person, right? So this whole notion of uh, going that extra step to leave the person that's involved in that exchange, phone call, meeting, email exchange, 
a bit better than they were before that interaction. That's the aspiration here. So, yeah, there may be other things that are important in terms of habits or whatever. But if I do this one well, I've got a hundred opportunities every single day. Yeah, yeah, it's a great. I mean, thank you for for explaining more. And actually, yeah, it's a great, uh, it's a great, uh, yeah, great input. Um, and any uh, so uh, let's say a little bit. Uh, some some people like to joke. Some people like to do sports. But any sort of on your personal side that that uh, that you think a personal habit that uh, that contributes to your success? Do you do something on a regular basis? Um, I try to goes back. You mentioned at the very beginning at the introduction um, the fact that I actually, together with a friend and business partner of mine, um, wrote a book ten years ago. Um, and it's called Simple Solutions, and it's about kind of how you use the left side of your brain and the right side of your brain, and uh, and you use very simple tactics and techniques from both halves, and then odds are that you're going to bring more of yourself into what it is you're doing and you'll have better results and probably also a better time. Um, so when, when you say like uh, parts that make me successful, I'm very German. Um, so I was born, raised here, very left brain, very analytical, very precise, like shortest line from here to there, um, which is all good, but it's not all there is, right? So I did make a very conscious effort once I realized that I'm kind of very much at home in this half and very much not at home in the other half to also spend more time with people who are more creative, more right brain, more passionate, very different. Um, very good friend of mine is the founder of Ballet Memphis. Wow. Uh, she probably wouldn't, uh, well, she probably wouldn't mind me saying that. She probably does not know the most linear way in the shortest way from A to B but she knows how to access creativity, how to how to access passion, and uh, and so spending time with people who actually are home where you're not uh, is something I did very consciously over the last ten plus years. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, uh, you wrote a book, um, but uh, um, I wanted to ask you this question: which um, it might be the same book, but which book do you typically give to people when you want to make a present? <laughs> Ideally, my own. That way, I, that, that, <laughs> that, that way I sell more. <laughs> but uh, um, but no, seriously. Um, in all fairness, actually, I don't. Uh, one thing that that uh, I don't hand out books. I don't uh, give out books. I did for a while, but I do much more now. Is um, because I have a huge passion for music. Um, I give people, I used to give them CDs. Now CDs perhaps are no longer the thing of today. They're more the thing of yesterday. But I do have exchanges with people more about last concert that they went to, last concert yeah. I went to, what music yeah. they like, what that music does for them. Yeah. Um, so it's it's just a different dimension I like to connect on. Uh, it's more meaningful to me, frankly, and um, I always get good tips. I typically talk to the kids of my friends about music, Versus my friends, you actually learn more, you find more interesting things that I otherwise wouldn't find. But uh, so instead of handing out the book, I typically share music tips with others and yeah. then engage on that. Yeah, yeah, super. And uh, and can you share any internet, uh, I don't know, if there's any supply chain resources, websites, reports that you, you use to keep yourself uh, updated with the latest development in the industry? 
Yeah, it's actually interesting. The, the answer is yes. I mean, there, there are uh, the typical kind of, and we are headquartered in Germany, so there are quite a few German sources that I get every single day. Um, there's a German kind of a transportation uh, logistics publication that I get the electronic feed every single day. Uh, DVZ is the, um, um, the, the name of that publication. Having said that, I do believe we're typically best off if the feeds, the information that that we get, I mean, so 10% of what I'm looking at that I'm absorbing, that I'm being fed is probably industry. The other 90% is not. And frankly, I think it does make for somewhat more of a complete picture if you kind of try to observe what's going on in this economy, what's going on in that country. Forget about the industry for a second, but more broadly, right? So is there tension brewing somewhere? Is there suddenly economically a, a part of the world starting to kind of take off, which may not be in my supply chain feed or my logistics news, mm. but it does actually impact what's going on around me. So, yes, I do get daily feeds of uh, typically kind of European supply chain um, information. I for, trans I for Transport is a kind of a, a venue and a place that I you know, sometimes get information from. But I think it's much more relevant to look a bit more left and a bit more right, have to your peripheral vision beyond the industry mm. feed. Yeah, more, more global picture. Yeah. Um, final question. Um, if you could give some advice to a 23-year-old graduating university and wanting to achieve a great career in logistics, uh, what would it be? Mm. I actually just yesterday was uh, with uh, – I was in Berlin yesterday with uh, – a colleague of mine, um, Mark Schuster, and uh, 20 or so uh, startup um, well, leaders who just founded their own little startup company at the uh, Technical University in Berlin. And uh, and uh, so we had a little bit of that conversation. So what do you advise what I should, what, what, what should I be doing or so? My uh, perhaps somewhat generic, but I believe fairly um, – relevant, I hope at least a piece of advice would be if I'm 23 year old and uh, I don't know for an absolute certainty what I want to be doing when I'm 50 or 60. And frankly, most people probably don't. I didn't know when I was, when I was 23 year old, uh, I still thought I would become a teacher somewhere. Um, and I didn't. So, uh, so if I don't know exactly where I'm going to be ending up in 10, 20, 30 years, which is the vast majority of people, I would ask them, think of your first move and your second move as an option expanding move. Meaning, uh, if you have the choice between larger company versus very small company, not your own, but somebody else's very small. Uh, if you have a choice between a global consulting firm where you have like basically the professional apprenticeship um, kind of at its best Those are great option expanding moves because you can still then say, okay, after that I'm going into consumer goods or I'm going into investment banking or whatever else because you've got a very broad kind of apprenticeship of some kind. So I would just generically say make your first step and your second step one that opens doors that is option expanding versus option narrowing. If you join some tiny company in a very boutique specialist space, chances are 
three or five or ten years from now, it doesn't set you up for more options. It sets you up for very few limited options. So just think about the first step, the second step as something that gives you more choices and options later on versus fewer. Yeah. So it's about the exposure and also, you know, um, how many things you can do after you've uh, you've done the first two choices. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. So great, great sharing, Tom. Thank you so much for your time, for for being with us today and for all the, the good stories and the sharings. And uh, thank you once again. Thank you. Straight back to you, Radu. Thanks. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you liked what you heard, be sure to follow us on radopalamario.com slash podcast for all the show notes, links, and extra tips covered in the interview. Make sure also to subscribe to our emailing list to get the news in the nick of time. If you're listening through a streaming platform like iTunes or Stitcher and you like what we do, please kindly review and give us five stars so we can keep the energy flowing and get more people to find out about our podcast. I'm most active on LinkedIn, so do feel free to follow me to stay tuned for our latest uh, articles as well as future guests for the podcast and if you have any suggestions or any other idea please feel free to write to me i respond to all and also please make sure not to miss our next episode where we will be having a few other c-level and top leaders in supply chain joining us stay tuned